a Telltale Pod production. Spirit Bird by Jasbinda Belan. Chapter 2 One by one our neighbours leave, talking to each other in hushed voices. Jivan and I walk back together towards the garden, so close that our arms touch, his eyes glistening. He turns his face away, brushing his nose roughly with the cuff of his sleeve. My throat is tight and I can hardly breathe. The words interest and repayment echo through my mind as I realise what has happened. How could she? How could Ma borrow money from that horrible woman? I say under my breath. Try not to think about her. Jivan leads me back into our garden. Ma's talking to Jivan's mother about Mina shouting words I've never heard her say before, the kind you're not meant to say. They're laden with anger and grief and her face is worn out. Let's clear up the mess, says Jivan's mother, putting an arm round Ma's shoulder and leading her inside. Ma's face is red with shame, tears streaming down her cheeks. I didn't think that she'd actually come here and threaten us like that. If Paras had been here, she would not have dared. She catches sight of me and Jivan and tries to control herself. You're doing your best, says Jivan's mother. You want to know she would just turn up like that? Asha, Ma says, wiping her face. See to your brother and sister, please. I send them off to the swing. I'll go, says Jivan, blowing the fringe off his face. I can take them to our place and give them something to eat. You've got enough to deal with here. He shoots me a smile and I smile back gratefully. Jivan and I run over to where Rohan and Rupa are playing on the swing that Papa made for us. They leap off and wrap their arms around my waist. Why were those men so cross? asks Rupa. That lady was really mean says Rohan, snuggling closer, and they made Ma cry. I hate them. Some people enjoy being nasty and it makes them feel big and important, but don't worry, they've gone now and everything will be okay. I force a smile and try to sound confident, but I'm beginning to doubt everything. Who wants to ride on my bike? asks Jivan. He picks the bike off the ground and props it against the wall. Rohan and Rupa squeal as he lifts them onto the seat. Hold on! He climbs on the crossbar and twists to face me. We'll find a way to get the tractor back. I promise! I watch them disappear out of the garden, feeling numb and useless, my throat so tight I can't speak. How much has Ma borrowed? They said they'd be back at Diwali and that's only seven weeks away. How will we get the money? All I can think of is what we'll do next time when they come back again. 
and it fills me with darkness. I look up. The mountains, far beyond the grazing grounds, make a black, jagged ridge against the setting sun. When I go inside, Jivan's mother is gone and everything is quiet. The broken pieces of my blue china cup are piled one on top of the other. Ma hasn't thrown it away with the rest of the things that were broken and I feel a surge of love for her. I pick up a shard, feeling the rough, cracked edge against my skin and slip it into my kurta pocket. Ma is sitting on the wooden bench, staring with bloodshot eyes into a hot cup of chai, her face puffy and her long hair, usually so neatly tied back, loose and wild. You've got to tell me what's been going on, Ma. My words are urgent and my insides are twisting up again. Ma, look at me. I know you're worried and I promise we'll talk later. Her voice shakes and she passes a hand over her hair. We need milk for supper. Did you bring it down? No, this is too important, Ma. Don't change the subject. I'm not a child you can hide things from anymore. It's been a dreadful day. I'm sorry, Asha. She speaks like she's in a trance. Where are Rohan and Rupa? Jivan took them for a ride on his bike. Remember? Drink a bit of chai, ma'am. It'll make you feel better. I bite my lip. What happened? Why did you borrow money from that woman? Ma doesn't speak. She gets up. You know, we haven't heard from your papa in four whole months, Sasha. I keep on waiting, but there's been no letter since May. She spits out each word like a bitter seed. I know. I miss Papa more than if I'd lost my own arm or leg. Ma, I make her look at me. Everything will be all right. He wrote so many letters before. He loves us. He said he'd come back for my birthday for sure. He's probably just been really busy with work. I have to convince her so she doesn't give up. Just tell me the truth. Why did you borrow the money? She sits opposite me, dark semicircles round her eyes. I didn't want to tell you, she says. Her voice has lost its usual lightness and sounds as brittle as glass. You know that we can't survive from the money we make from the farm. Even with extras, it's not enough. And Papa, she hesitates. Asha, she, Asha, he hasn't sent any money since that last letter in May. What? I nearly choke on the word. The reality of what Ma has said, forcing me to grow up in a single breath. I grip the table, unable to speak. I knew about the letter stopping, but she never told me about the money stopping too. I had nowhere else to turn, she says, using the edge of the tea towel to dab away her tears. I kept thinking he was just running late and that the money would turn up the next month, but it never did. The sky grumbles and looks darker than ever. She wraps her arms around me and kisses me lightly on the head. 
Stay inside. I should get the milk. I won't be long. I promise we'll talk more when I get back. I wait for her to go, then trail into the back garden with its neat rows of shiny peas and peppers that she's been growing to sell at the market. The chickens are still unsettled and they can't stop squawking and pecking each other. Warm drops of rain splash onto my hair and trickle down my neck as I shelter under the wide, canopied shisham tree beside the house, its rough trunk hard against my back. Glossy, black-winged rose finches with their blushed underbellies chatter and dive out from between the branches, chasing each other, dripping more rain from the leaves like holy water. I let it fall on my face, willing it to revive me. And I think of a curse to hurl at all the people who've invaded my home. Do not dare to return here, but be gone to the northern poles where nothing grows except cruel ice. And place your heart beneath the white bear's claw under the ghost wolf's foot. May you wane forever, shrivel like a coal on the fire, shrink like slime on the wall, waste away like a starving child and become as small as a drop of saliva from a fly's vomit and much smaller than a speck from the dung heap and so very tiny that you become nothing. I slip onto the ground letting my shoulders droop at last, exhausted by the burden of the day. I sit with my eyes closed, trying to make sense of what's happened, but it doesn't make sense at all. Why would Papa stop sending the money? The rain has cleared the air and I breathe in the early evening smells, warm soil, grass and the sweet star-shaped buckle flowers, like the ones that Papa collected for me last summer when we took a picnic high into the mountains instead of doing chores. He made them into a garland and crowned me Queen of the Himalayas. Is he safe? Has something happened? The crickets begin their raucous clicking, droning their steady evening song like a chorus you can't blot out. I go back inside, I walk over to the small shrine we keep on the shelf in the kitchen and top up the clay diva with mustard oil. Striking a match, I light the diva, just as I've done every single night since Papa left, and watch the pale yellow flame flicker, dimly at first, then explode into a bright light, shining golden under the statue of Shiva, who looks so calm sitting there with his hand raised in peace. I take a deep breath and my senses fill with the comforting scent of jasmine from the garland Ma twined around his neck this morning. Maybe this will bring us some luck. I put my hands together and close my eyes. Please, Lord Shiva, protect this house and all of us who live here. Protect my papa wherever he is. Keep us safe and reunite us and give thanks for Jivan and his family and our neighbours. A rush of fear fills my stomach. Uh, And especially protect us from Mina. When I open my eyes, I notice a letter tucked behind the statue. 
It's got a blue British stamp on it, and it must be from Uncle Neil in England. Why didn't Ma show it to me? She usually reads all his letters to us. My stomach turns a somersault. She's been keeping another secret from me. I slip the letter out of its envelope, reading hurriedly, one eye on the door. Dear Sister Inakshi, We are all fine in England. London gets cold quickly in September. Not like India, where you must still be feeling the heat of the sun. The leaves are starting to fall, and that means all the children are going back to school. Manu begins his exams this year. We hope he works hard. I know you haven't heard from Paras for so long, or received the money he promised to send you. Do you think it's time you thought about selling the farm? You can have a good life here. Be brave, Inakshi. Come to England. My hand is shaking. I can't finish reading. So this is what Ma's been planning. How can she even consider leaving Papa behind while he's working to keep us all alive? What happens when he comes back and there's nobody here? With the letter still in my hand, I storm outside, gasping for fresh air. I stand against the house, staring wildly into the sky. My heart won't stop slamming against my ribs and my breathing is out of control. The stone wall is scorching with the heat of the day and I lean against it. A single, motted toad shovels out of the shadows and I kneel on the damp mud beside it, listening to its soulful croak. Way above, a half-moon appears through the burnished evening clouds, lighting up the wings of a circling Lamajaya, a bearded vulture. And for some reason, it makes me think of Nanaji, Ma's Ma, who died when I was six. Nanaji believed the spirits of our loved ones lived on through animals, and said that after she died, she would come back to us and we should look out for her. I close my eyes and I don't feel quite so jumpy. The memories of my nanaji are tugging me back to earth. You were such a tiny thing when you came from your ma, bloodied and bawling, hardly bigger than my outstretched hand. You fought your way into the world on that stormy night, with the thunder thrashing on the rooftops and lightning searing the skies. Your mountain green eyes shocked the whole village. You were the one chosen to carry forward the ancient name, Asha. You were our hope, and I clasped you in my arms. When I open them again, the Lama Jaya has perched on the old well. It's about the size of a lamb with dark bronze wings and a grey beak. Golden feathers cover its head and the rest of its body. It struts around the crumbling wall and begins pecking as if it's looking for grains of wheat. It then spreads its wings, which are far wider than my outstretched arms, and lands beside me, right there on the ground. Even though its wings are now folded, the bird is colossal. 
They usually keep away from people, but I'm so close I can see each bright yellow scale on its legs and its grey ridged talons which it uses to scratch the ground. The Lamajaya starts to make a clucking sound as if it's trying to tell me something, and I stare into its dark flecked eyes, mesmerised. I feel a little putter of nerves, but I lean even further forward, stretching my fingers towards its feathery wing. It hops away, perching back on the well, tilts its head to one side and lifts its wings. I wish you were my Nanaji, I say, my voice quivering. I need her so much. A grey feather tinged with gold floats down and lands by my foot. I stroke its silky softness and weave it into my plait. Perhaps I'll call you my spirit bird. It keeps looking at me and furls its powerful wings again and this time rises into the grey-white sky, billowing dried shisham leaves into the air like dust. That was another Tell a Tale Pod production. Remember that you can follow, share and find more of our podcasts at tellatalepod.podbean.com.